Well, three weeks tomorrow, that's going to become a reality in that little stadium there that seats 23,000 people. Just to imagine that entire arena lifting up their voice in cries of hallelujah to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just imagine that place uh, falling to their knees, asking God to break through in the country of Mexico for revival, for transformation. Imagine in that place bringing somebody who is a part of your life who was lost and didn't know Jesus and watching them walk out of their seat, walk down to the front, get on their knees and ask Jesus to become their Lord and Savior for the very first time. That is Mexico praise. We're very excited about it. Uh, If you're coming to our 10th annual banquet tomorrow night at the Hearst Conference Center, you're going to hear a lot more than that. As I'm speaking right now, there is a huge conference taking place in Monterrey, Mexico. It's a, uh, a city of 5 million people, so it's a lot smaller than Mexico City, but it's still a massive city. And today, they are meeting across denominational lines with many, many churches and pastors, and they are praying for their country that this thing that's taking place in three weeks will be the thing that kicks down the door so revival can break through in Mexico City. So we're excited about that. Also this coming week, you need to be praying for us because we're going to be in Nicaragua. We haven't talked a lot about Nicaragua because we've needed uh, to build teams and support for Mexico. But something supernatural is taking place this weekend. While you guys are going, uh, doing your, your, your trunk of treat here, giving out candies, receiving candies. While that is all taking place, we're going to be in Nicaragua. A year ago when we did the Mass Crusade in Managua, uh, we, we didn't know that we would be coming back, but the Lord has just tied our heart to Nicaragua in such a special way. And when we were back there about seven, eight months ago, and again, you're going to be hearing a lot more about this tomorrow night at the banquet, but when we were there seven or eight months ago, the uh, president of the uh, Evangelical Association for all of Nicaragua said, have you considered calling all the pastors and generals of this nation to come to one place to pray for Nicaragua to continue pushing forward in unity and humility and prayer? My answer was, no, I haven't thought about calling all the generals and leaders of Nicaragua to Managua. But, you know, well, what are you saying? And the more that we begin to talk, the more we begin to dream. was like, why don't we believe for something that's impossible? What is taking place this weekend, this Friday and Saturday? This is what's happening. The leaders and generals from across denominational lines and political lines are gathering in Managua. We already have reservations from all 17 states in the nation. They are converging in Managua. And this weekend, while there is Halloween going on here, the nation of Nicaragua, their generals, their spiritual leaders, even their political leaders, are going to their knees to ask God for revival and transformation in Nicaragua. So... You'll be hearing more about that tomorrow night as well. Please be praying. Uh, we already know that we have a, we're going to be meeting with the Secretary of State. They call, the, they call her the Minister of the Government this week. And there are some other developments I'm not allowed to talk to you about afterwards. I can't, I can't right now. But please be praying. This is a strategic hour for both Nicaragua and Mexico. In fact, I have in my heart that God is doing something incredible in the Latin American world. And again, you can... Uh, come tomorrow and be a part of that. By the way, it is sold out. We've reached maximum capacity. However, you're our home church. We love you. We wouldn't turn anybody from Bethesda away. And so if you are still interested in coming tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, please see Steve or see Elisa after the service, and we'll talk then. Would you stand one more time? We want to pray, and then we're going to open up the Word of God or turn on our apps to Revelation chapter 19. Oh, Jesus, this morning I'm, I'm aware in my heart and in my spirit of the eternal multitudes that are surrounding this place in the heavenlies. This morning, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I'm aware of the angelic hosts 
that surround us in this place this morning. Oh, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I'm aware of the 24 elders that are around your throne. I'm aware of the four living creatures. But more than all of that, what gets me excited this morning is I am aware that King Jesus is among us this morning. And we come to bless your holy and magnificent name. Oh, Lord Jesus, we come and we humble ourselves before you. And we thank you for your great power. We thank you for your great presence. And we thank you that this is a supernatural, divinely orchestrated appointment. And so now, God, open up every ear. Open up every heart. Let the prophetic current of heaven run directly to our soul, that we would be transferred into that which is heavenly, that we would be changed by your glory. And I bless these people, my home, Bethesda, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. If you'll go ahead and sit down, that's fine. I want to read to you right out of Revelation 19. My heart is so full this morning. I told Elise on the way up here, I said, I don't know if it's okay for me to preach two and a half hours. I'm not in Latin America, but uh, I'm not, okay? But you have to know that my heart is absolutely full. They sometimes say it's better to come with a full heart and not share it all than come with a, a you know, an, a, an impartial full, you know, and, not be, and have to stretch it out. We're not going to be long today because I'm trying to stretch out time. I just want to get this out of my spirit and into yours, and I pray that you would receive it, not from me, but you would receive it from the Father heart of God. So let's read Revelation 19. I love the book of Revelation. I love the majesty of God that is portrayed in this book, and I'm going to do the very best I can this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit to bring some of this alive. Chapter 19, we're going to read the first nine verses. From the New King James. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory, honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they fell down and they worshiped God, who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who serve him, both small and great. And I heard as it were a voice of a great multitude, as the sound of Many waters is the sound of mighty thunderings crying, Alleluia, for the Lord God Almighty, the Omnipotent, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linens, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. My heart this morning is to get to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's where we're going, okay? And in a minute, we're gonna, read, we're gonna go through some of these verses line by line so you can kind of see some of the glory that is attached to this passage. But if you read the very first sentence of chapter nine, it says, uh, chapter 19, excuse me, it says, 
after these things, which asks the question, what things? After these things, what things is, is John referring to? Well, there, there's a lot of them, but let me give you three of them, just as a way of introduction. Number one, John has seen the throne. He has felt the energy that is coming from his presence. And if you were to read through many of the chapters before you, you would hear these cries that, that come from around the throne. There's, there's many of them. We've heard Pastor Dan share on some of them before. There's, just, there's so many of them that just echo and reverberate throughout the heavens. One of those cries goes something like this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now the word holy is, is a pretty familiar term to us. I mean, in English it's, it's holy, in Hebrew it's kadosh, in Spanish it's santos, in Welsh it's sanctai. There's a lot of, there's a lot of different languages that, that translate that word and, and we're familiar with it. But the actual translation of that word is not easy to give proper definition to. If we were to be fair about what does that word holy mean, it actually means something like this, radically different. Your God is holy this morning in the ways that you think about that word and beyond, but if we were to dig a little bit deeper, our God is radically different. In fact, we're called to be radically different even as he is radically different. We are called to be holy, even as he is holy. Our God is Kadosh. Our God is Santos. Our God is Sanctai. Our God is holy. He is radically different. This is the God who is radically different in his character, in his being, in his essence, in his love, in his mercy, in his justice, and we could keep on going. He's radically different. So you have radically different, radically different, radically different. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But that description that is tagged on at the end of radically different, radically different, radically different, that description that is tied on after holy, holy, holy is this, Lord God Almighty. It's a combination of three things. God, Lord, God, and Almighty. Lord is Adonai. And it speaks to the supremacy and the covenantal relationship. God is Elohim. And it speaks to his creative power. And of course, Almighty is Savayot, which is this all-embracing term all of time, all of space, all of matter, the totality of everything. What you're hearing is a declaration of the ultimate level of the God of the universe. You're hearing radically different, holy, radically different, is the greatest and the highest King of kings and Lord of lords of all that is and shall be evermore. Now, we could make a message out of that. But this is one of the things that John sees. Chapter 19, after these things. But this is one of the things before that that he sees. 
He's seen the throne. He's felt the energy and the presence and its power. And he's heard the cries. But let me give you a second thing. John has seen the expanse of the church. John gets a glimpse of the church in its heavenly context. He's looking into that which is timeless. And you have to understand what he sees. He's, he's seeing that by the grace of God, the church is vast. It's massive. It's overcoming. And he looks and he has to be overwhelmed by what he sees. Because what he sees is this. A number that exceeds the entire number of the people on the planet when he was alive. I mean, just think about that. There's like 7 billion people or so on our planet right now. If God opened your eyes and you could see a number vastly larger than that, wouldn't that shake you to your core? Whatever that number was, when John opens his eyes and sees the vastness and the multitude surrounded by the glory of God resting on the church, it must have overwhelmed him. It wouldn't have just overwhelmed him, though, because of the number, as vast as it was. Understand, he had just written seven letters. You go to the beginning of Revelation, and you see that he's written these seven letters to the churches in Asia, and most of them are struggling. Most of them are having a very difficult time. But he's written those letters. He's also very much aware that he's on the island of Patmos as a prisoner, isolated and abandoned. Things don't seem to be going well for him. And at the same time, he is aware that of the 12 original apostles, all of them have been martyred and killed, but for one, and it's John. So John is seeing this. He has to be overwhelmed, and the question has to be this. Has it been worth it all? Oh, and you know something began to rise up inside of John that said, yes, yes, yes. This is the beginning, but I see it, the culmination. It is worth it all. You need to know that we are a part of this, this growing, 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 vast multitude. It's our future. We're a part of that, and we can praise God for that, and I think we should do just that. Praise the Lord because you're a part of something glorious this morning. Again, we could talk a lot more there, but let me share one more thing with you that he has seen, which is before 19 kicks in. He's seen the throne. He's felt the presence. He's heard the cries. He looks and he, he sees the expanse, the vastness of the church. And he's also seen the proliferation and the punishment of sin. Much of the book of Revelation is devoted to this very issue of sin and rebellion. But it can be summed up in one verse, in two words. It's actually repeated in chapter 19, but you see it in chapter 18. It's this, Babylon falls. Now, we don't know exactly what Babylon is in the context of Revelation, but we do know it's the mystical city of rebellion. It could be the restoration of the actual city in Iraq. You know, it could be New York because of its financial powers. It could be 
the Roman Empire. It could be a lot of different things. Babylon could be a lot of things, but whatever it is, it falls. That's victory. Babylon collapses because sin and rebellion does not win. Babylon collapses because rebellion and sin lose the battle. It collapses because ultimately sin and rebellion has to bow their knee before the radically different Lord God Almighty. That is what is meant when it says, after these things. And so there you go, 10 minutes, we've just covered the first 18 chapters of Revelation. Then chapter 19 kicks in. I love chapter 19. What you see from the very beginning is heaven exalting and glorifying and rejoicing over its victory over Babylon. It's rejoicing over its triumph. It's rejoicing over the fall and destruction of sin and rebellion. And I want you to look at these verses. We're going to walk through some of them very quickly. But six times in the very first six verses, you're going to read cries of Hallelujah. You're going to read cries of praise the Lord. And so let's get started. In verse 1 of chapter 19, it says that this vast, great multitude lifts up a cry and says, Alleluia. Why? Because all that God has done is righteous and it's true. Then in verse 3, it happens again. Again, the multitude raises up their voices and they cry out, hallelujah, because of the defeat of Babylon. But then look what happens in verse 4. In verse 4, it goes from the multitude. And now it's the 24 elders. And it's the four spirits that are around the throne. And they are affirming what the mass groups of people are saying. And this is what they say. Amen which is the divine punctuation. Amen to what they're saying. And just so we're clear, hallelujah from us as well. And then in verse 5 comes the voice from the throne. And it says, praise our God, all you his servants, all you who fear him, great and small. Catch the progression. It starts out, with this grand, grand, vast multitude. And they're crying, hallelujah. And they keep crying, hallelujah. And then it's like it just kind of narrows in a little bit. And here are the 24 elders that we read about in other places in Scripture where when they worship, they take their, their crowns off their head and they throw them at the feet of at the feet of him who sits on the throne, and they begin to worship along with the four spirits, and they're saying amen to everything that's being said. We're responding to that. But from our own hearts, praise the Lord. And then it centers in a little bit more. And from the throne comes these words. Praise God. All you servants, all you who fear him, from the least to the greatest, praise our God. And look what happens in verse 6. You ready? Immediately, there's a response from all of heaven. 
the, mouth, the multitudes respond. Everybody begins to lift up their voice. It is so loud. It is so fast. It's so deafening, so powerful, the response in this heavens that John says it's like this. It was like crashing thunder. It was like mighty ocean waves that this multitude was crying out. And what did they cry out in response from the declaration of the throne that those who are his servants, that those who fear him, whether you're least in the kingdom or greatest in the kingdom, what did they say that was so loud and impressionable? Hallelujah! That's what came out of their heart. That's what exploded and resonated through the heavens. Hallelujah for the Lord omnipotent reigns. This is the awesome and radically different God we serve. I know we like to sing about him being our friend and that he's a cozy buddy, but friends, he's infinitely powerful. He's dramatically vast. He's supernaturally glorious, and sometimes we need to respond like the all of heaven and say, Alleluia, our Lord God Almighty reigns. So, this is where it gets really amazing. In the middle of this crescendo. Man, it's not even a crescendo. I just used that because it's a musical term and Dan would be happy. But <laughs> in the middle of this explosion of worship, John sees something new. He sees something different. And this is what he sees. He becomes immediately aware of the imminent wedding ceremony that's going to take place between the church and the Christ. Let's look at verse 7 and read it. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. You know, there's a, there's a very mystical idea here that I just want you to to note as we walk through a couple of thoughts about this marriage supper. This is what it is. You know, here on earth, in the natural, it's the ceremony that is the center of attention. The reception, it's of lesser importance. It happens after the ceremony, right? But here in heaven, there is no reference to the ceremony. It's all about the reception. Which is kind of, kind of interesting. We, don't, we, we can dig and we can look at these verses here and we're not told what form it takes. We're not told how that ceremony happens. All we know is that the Lord Jesus Christ and his bride are joined together. And it's because of this joining together that Father God decides to throw a party. And this celebration, if you will, is what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now let me, let me share a little bit more about that. This is the wedding banquet for the church and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it's a celebration feast of victory that has been won. And at the center of it is that which he cares deeply about, you and me. This is the marriage supper. Now, everybody likes a good wedding, right? And so, and we've, I think all of you have probably seen many of them. When, how important would you say is the attire of the bride? I mean, it could be the most crucially important part of the, of the ceremony. I can't tell you how many weddings I have seen in this building. I mean, it's, haven't been here a long time, and it seems like I was born here. I wasn't, but, you know, I haven't been here a long time. I have watched more people than I, well, more ladies than I can tell you, walk down this aisle, right? And when those doors open and she begins to come down, everybody stands Everybody faces her, and everybody's looking to see how beautiful she is, to see what she's wearing. It's the same thing right here. When, when, when you look here, look at, in fact, look at verse 8. It says, to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And so for her, she, she is Paraled with this fine linen, it's, it's white, it's pure, it's clean. It's a reflection of the righteous acts of the saints. Well, we need to know something about those acts. They're not earned. That, that dress that the church gets to wear, it's, it's not purchased. It's because of, as we were talking earlier today, it is the blood of Jesus. It's because of the blood of Jesus that we get to wear these fine linens. All we have to do is put it on. And so Jesus has made it available to us by his blood. Now look in verse 9. He said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Understand that the banquet was not the angel's ideas. The banquet wasn't even John's idea or his imagination. This banquet, this marriage supper, this victory celebration is the voice and heart of Father God. And what it, what it underscores for us, and this is where I'm going right now, what it underscores for us is the value God places on a soul. This is a really big deal in heaven. It's a really big event. You know that parable where Jesus was, was talking about that there was a, um, a host and he was having a, a wedding and he was trying to fill up his, his house, remember? And it's just like, you know, they sent out all the invitations and some people respond, but some ah, oh, you know, I just, no, I can't do it. I'm, I'm busy. I'm not interested. Something else is going on. And so they turn down the invitations. And I mean, they're going into the highways and the byways. Why? Because it was important to the host, Jesus says, for the room to be full. Well, guess what? It is very important to Father God that the room be full. This is prophesied, even. In the book of Isaiah, if you go to, to chapter 53, I think it's verse 11, this is what it says. He will see the travail of his soul and he will be satisfied. The celebration feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, is not just about those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus. Thank you, God, that it is. 
But it's also the fulfillment of the purpose and pleasure of God. You may ask yourself, what is the purpose of it all? It's this, to have a company of people who would love him because they want to love him. Let me say that again, that there would be a company of people that would make up this supper, make up this celebration, who love him because they want to love him. Friends, newsflash, this is what the church is. Not just in eternity, it's what it is now. We are in love with Jesus the Christ. If it's for any other purpose than that, then let's talk afterwards. We are in his body because we love him and we want to be with him forever. Now, let me just say this, because I know some of you are thinking about, wow, this, this marriage supper, this, this celebration feast. Well, let me tell you how you know that you're in. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then there is a divine invitation with your name written on it, and it's waiting for you. If you know the blood of Jesus has washed your sins away, then there are fine linen garments waiting for you. If you are in love with Jesus, there's a seat at his table just for you. Well, amen. Now, we don't want to miss the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the ultimate sealing of salvation. It's the ultimate indication of favor. And it's the final expression of wholeness. Finally, at this supper, finally, at this celebration, finally, the bride is going to be what it has been meant to be since the very beginning of time. I mean, we all remember the fall. If you read the beginning of the book, I know we're talking about the end of the book, but if you read the beginning of the book, you read about the fall. And since the fall, humanity has been tainted with original sin. It's been traumatized by personal sin. And it's been terrorized by societal sin. But now, here in chapter 19, that has ended. Now at the feast, we are like him because we shall see him as he is. The only guests at the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be the angels, members of the heavenly host, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And the most amazing thing about all of it, according to some of the writings of the Apostle Paul, is that the church... The church, here's what he says. He says that the Lord Jesus will be admired because of us. I mean, just let that sink into your brain for a second. It's easy for someone to say, wow, man, the church is so lucky. They get Jesus forever. But the implication is this from the Apostle Paul. Wow, look at Jesus. He gets the church forever. What you need to hear in that is this. You are loved, greatly loved, and desired. 
It is the ultimate expression of mercy, of grace, and of wholeness. Here's the heartbreaking tragedy of all of it. There are, are many who are not accepting the invitation today. Some reject it because they're not interested. They're not interested in, in being a part of at the feast of Jesus and, and the church. They're just, they're not interested. Some are so intoxicated with the sin and rebellion in this world that they love darkness more than they love the light because the days that we're in are evil. And some are swayed into a disillusion thinking that maybe it's all going to work out well at the end. But still, the invitation goes out. It goes out to every tribe. It goes out to every generation. It goes out to every nation. If they only knew, if they only knew the glory that is awaiting them, if they only knew the marriage supper that is awaiting them, if they only knew the extravagant love to be poured out, the glory to be poured out upon them, if they only knew they would hold on to such a valuable invitation. And you may ask, how valuable is the invitation besides coming to the marriage supper of the Lamb? The invitation has been written in the blood of Jesus. It was shed on the cross, the blood was shed on the cross at Calvary as a token of his undying love for you and for me, for us. This invitation offers forgiveness, it offers hope, and it offers a future. I want to ask you to stand. My time has come to an end. <clears throat> so here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for two different responses this morning, and then it's going to go back to Pastor Dan. If you have not accepted this divine invitation, then now is the hour to get your RSVP in. Now is the hour for that. To join in the heavenly cries. To see and sense the wonder of his presence. To be a guest at his throne. To see and be a part of the vast multitude of the church which is glorious and triumphant. To come to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The victorious, glorious feast over sin, rebellion, and the union between Jesus and his church. If you're here this morning, only you can answer that question, do I love Jesus? Your, your wife can't answer that question. Your pastor or home group leader cannot answer that question. Your neighbor cannot answer that question. Only you can answer the question, do I love Jesus? Only you can answer this question. Has the blood of Jesus that was freely shed for me at Calvary, has it come and washed my sins away? No one else can answer that question but you and God. Who knows whether or not the blood of Jesus has been applied to your life and the sins in your life, the rebellion in your life, the hurt, sorrow, and pain in your life.
Do you love Jesus this morning? Has the blood of Jesus washed your sins away? Are you alive in him with a relationship that's growing, expecting, looking forward? If that is you, then when the invitation has been extended, you have taken it. And your name is reserved in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have a reservation at the marriage banquet. There is a plate, and there are knives, and there are forks, and a seat with a name tag waiting for you. You're going to be a part of the victory celebration of the ages. And let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. In the history of wedding feasts, in the history of celebrations, in the human history of any type of get-together to rejoice and party, there has never been a party. There has never been a celebration. There has never been a supper like will be held that day in the kingdom of heaven. This morning, the invitation written in the blood of the Lamb himself is extended to those of you who do not love Jesus, who are not living for Jesus, who don't know that the blood of Jesus has washed your sins away. And that if that is you right now with everybody looking, come to the front. I need to pray for you. You need to receive the invitation from heaven. Come on. If that's you, come right now. You want to receive the invitation from heaven. You want to receive the invitation from heaven. We'll wait for you if you're coming down from the balcony. This is your moment to say, give me that invitation. It is so precious. So anybody here this morning calling on your salvation this morning? Is there anybody? I'll wait. I'm an evangelist. I'm used to waiting. I could go two more hours. Dan knows that. Hey, where's, where's my friend, Pastor William? Pastor, are you, are you here? He may be up in the booth. Friends, Jesus loves us so much. What he has prepared for us is glorious, and it is amazing. I am so full of anticipation, and I am so happy that you are so full of anticipation because this is eternal. Now, this is what the other invitation is going to be, okay? If you're here this morning and you know somebody in your life who has not accepted that invitation, it could be a husband, it could be a, a wife, it could be a granddaughter, it could be an uncle, it could be an aunt, it could be a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor. If there is somebody who is special to you, special to you, that you know has not accepted the invitation written in blood to come to this victorious celebration in heaven. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand because I want to, I want to pray for you. Because here's, here's what's going to happen. I want in my heart for every person who has their hand raised to see the Holy Spirit step in and break through that darkness to break through that rebellion, to break through that sin, to break through the tragedy, the hurts, the pain, and to bring wholeness 
to bring forgiveness, to bring hope, and most importantly, to bring them into the marriage supper of the Lamb. If that's you right now and the Holy Spirit's putting that name or names in your mind, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to just release the power of the Holy Spirit into their circumstances, into their lives, to bring transformation, to bring revival, to bring salvation. But when I'm praying, I am commissioning you who are raising your hands to personally take it upon yourself to make sure they get the invitation. You can come anywhere. I'm going to pray here in a second. And as I pray, I'm going to have uh, Pastor Will. It's so hard to call you Will. I'm going to have my friend William pray in Spanish with me, okay? But if your hand is up in the air, I'm going to pray right now for that transformation to take place. But I am commissioning you to take it upon yourself to make sure they receive the invitation from you. At least somebody has the ability to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. And it could be that you have been placed divinely and supernaturally in their life so that they can receive it. Will you receive that today? Will you take the responsibility to be God's hands and feet and mouth extended so that our friends and our neighbors and our families what a great way to grow Bethesda exponentially into multiple services by all of us winning those who are lost around us. Thank you for the two amens. Somebody capture that in your heart. All of us have a responsibility to win as many people as we can. Pastor, shall we pray? Okay. In the mighty name of Jesus. En el poderoso nombre de Jesús. Who we stand before right now. En el cual nos paramos delante de él. Whose glorious presence is round about us. La cual su gloriosa presencia está alrededor nuestro. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Por el poder del Espíritu Santo. We bring these lost souls to you, Jesus. Presentamos estas almas perdidas a ti, Jesús. And we ask you, O oh God. Y te pedimos, oh Dios, to break into their lives. Que puedas traer a su vida. To break into their circumstances. Que puedas romper a sus circunstancias. To bring revelation. Traer revelación. Transformation. Transformación. And salvation. Y salvación. Lord, we thank you today. Señor, te damos gracias en este día. That even those who are in the darkest of places. Que aun cuando se encuentren en los lugares más oscuros. You are reaching by the power of your Holy Spirit. Serán alcanzados por el poder de tu Espíritu Santo. Thank you today. Gracias el día de hoy. That even those who are saying no right now. Que aun aquellos que están diciendo no. The heavenly hound dogs of grace and mercy are pursuing doing them still right now. Que todo lo divino está persiguiéndolos a ellos en este momento. And so Lord for every person who has their hands raised. Así que Señor por cada persona que tiene su mano levantada en este momento. As they stand in faith. Mientras se ponen de pie en for, fe. For their families. Por sus familias. For their friends. Por sus amigos. For their neighbors and co-workers. Por sus colaboradores en el trabajo. We ask that you would honor their prayers. Y por sus vecinos que puedas honrar sus oraciones. And bring your miraculous answer in Jesus name. Y puedas traer una respuesta milagrosa en el nombre de Jesús. Lord for every person who is raising their hands. Señor por cada persona que levanta su mano. We ask you in the name of Jesus. Te pedimos en el nombre de Jesús. That you would embolden and empower them que los puedas dar de nuevo y poder to present the invitation to these people they're praying for para presentar esta respuesta a aquellos que están 
Dios necesitando. And so, Lord Jesus, we love you. Así que, Señor Jesús, te amamos. We say thank you for washing us in the blood of Jesus. Te agradecemos por lavarnos en tu sangre. Thank you for putting our name in the Lamb's book of life. Gracias por inscribir nuestro nombre en el libro de la vida. Thank you for the invitation to the marriage lamb. Y gracias, Dios, a la boda del cordero porque nos has llevado. So, Lord, we bless this word. We bless these people. Bendecimos este pueblo y bendecimos esta palabra. We present it all to you in Jesus' name. Y lo presentamos todo a ti, Jesús. Amen. Amen.